Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And we've got a great show lined up for you today. We've got Dr. Jim Kestenbaum um, joining us today. And Dr. Jim and I have had some really cool conversations over the past six months or a year here. And um, we finally said, I got to have you on the show. So Um, Jim is also, Dr. Jim is also in Rochester, so it made it really nice. So even though you've got us live and, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, over the podcast here, we both are in the same town, which is rare for my guests. So really appreciate you being here. You're welcome, Michael. Pleasure. So we have a, a little tradition of just sharing the journey, this, you know, this whole idea of working with family businesses it's one thing to be brought into a family business and that makes you know sense and a lot of times you know that journey is kind of you know twisted and turning but to become a consultant that focuses on working with family businesses today that's becoming you know something that people go and get trained on um 20 years ago, when I started in business, we were searching and, you know, trying to figure out all this stuff and, you know, scrambling for information. And here we are, we've been in the same town for 20 years. And I had just met you this year. Absolutely. So, you know, so how did you, what is your journey? How did you get involved in this field? There were several steps to it. Really good question. So the first one goes back to graduate school. So I have a PhD in counseling psych. I have a minor in industrial organizational psych. And one of the graduate schools, you can imagine there were a lot of requirements, but there was a lot of opportunity just to take things you were interested in. So I took a placement in learning family therapy. Um, I took a placement in learning how to do assessments. And I remember back then thinking, I'm just collecting these skills. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I'm really enjoying myself. So then fast forward, I had my first job in consulting. My boss at that time was a family business consulting psychologist. It was one of the things he did. I'd never heard of that. So he said, Jim, you're going to work with me. I work with family businesses. I went, okay. So I know what a family, what do you do with them? And he said, well, basically there are times we need to create a path. When they get stuck on the path, we have the skills to get them unstuck. And so, so began that journey. That was back in 1989. Um, the skill set I have, it's, it's not mystical how to come by it, but you have to have a lot of different skills to do this particular space. And it turns out that what I did in graduate school saying, I'm going to learn a lot of things I enjoy. I'll do my requirements. I'm going to learn a lot of things I enjoy. 
that turned out to well position me to do something I didn't know about in graduate school. Um, and then ended up, I still do this. Um, I really do very little advertising for it. The skill set's so unique. People seem to have a way of finding me. So certainly if I had a boss, I'd say, you need a marketing plan. I probably do, uh, but this is working. Um, and it's it still remains to be some of the most complex, personally satisfying and intellectually stimulating work that I do because it uses every every single skill I have. And in the end, you know, it's the American dream, seeing a business get from gen one to two or to three. I like that dream. So um, I feel I'm doing my little bit to help families move their businesses to a next shot. I love it. That That's one of the reasons this whole podcast started was because, you know, COVID was happening and we knew that it was going to have an effect on all the business owners that we served and we just wanted to help. So we grabbed, you know, the people that I know um, in that space to say, what do people need to be thinking about? What do they need to be worrying about right now and planning for? And then it just kind of morphed into what it is today. Mm -hmm. So I, it, it, it's very satisfying work. And we come at it from very different perspectives. Um, I don't have, you know, a psychology degree. Um, and you said it's, you have industrial psychology. Is that what it, say that it, what was the minor? My minor is in, it's called industrial organizational psychology. So it's industrial sort of used to be called personnel psychology. So wages, job descriptions, things like that. Organizational psychology is all the organizational dynamics within a company. So when you look at family businesses, that slices so many different ways. So family, non-family, level, internal, external. So it's understanding when you put those together, why do they function the way they do? And then how do you make them function better? So very germane in family business consulting. Gotcha. So typically, let's just put it out on the table. When do family businesses, you know, call Dr. Jim or start their search for somebody like Jim Kestenbaum? So it's said that this is the way it happens, but it is the way it happens. It's never proactive. It's never, you have an owner or a couple of owners, usually husband and wife um, in their mid fifties going, our kids are probably coming up to the teen years. We should do something. That's always sort of the dream. And then, and books are written about that. What happens is somebody is feeling very frustrated, emotional, angry. Uh, you hear things like uh, from owners, I can't take this anymore. So that's one thing. The second thing is, is that I am rarely the first consultant. So as Michael, you and I've talked about, oftentimes the first consultant is a family friend. And usually what you hear is to the friend, can you talk to the kids? The kids are like in their thirties, but can you talk to the kids? And I'll say, what do you want to talk about? Well, you know, they're not cooperating and they don't understand how good they got it. And, you know, this is a multi-million dollar enterprise and that goes on and on and on. So there is that talk with the kids. It doesn't change anything because it doesn't address the problem. So it's actually, it's the pleasant version of what the parents have been trying to do. So, and then the referral sources are wide ranging. So certainly folks like you were, were very in this space, but also um, priests, accountants, attorneys, people who hear people's problems. So they're sitting with whomever is their advisor du jour and they're right. saying, this family business is driving me crazy. And then, cause I've been doing this so long, somebody says, it's kind of Dr. Jim. And they'll say, well, I don't want to have therapy. 
I say, that's great because he's not going to do therapy with you. I said, but he's got degrees in this stuff. You should go have a cup of coffee with him and tell him what's going on. If he can help, he's going to help you. If he can't, he'll try to refer you. So that's that's sort of the path. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I think what's what's happening a lot a lot of times is they're trying to figure out succession. They're trying to figure out who who plays what roles in the next generation, and then somebody's nose gets bent, or or somebody's not pulling their weight, or you know, a very, a myriad of different things that happen. Um, and, you know, dad doesn't think, or mom doesn't think that, you know, the, the child's capable, um, or maybe they're not giving the autonomy that they need to give them so that they can do things their way. So I, I, I think it's important to hit on some of those real specific things so that people can hear that it's, it's pretty much anything. If you, if oh, you've yeah. got things, go ahead. Yeah. So it's, there are some other ones I'll just add to your list that mom and or dad know that they should do succession. They're not ready for the big R, which is retirement. It was funny today's news. uh, So Serena Williams, the world famous tennis players in the news. So she said she is ready to now evolve into what's next. So she said, I don't want to talk about retirement because that means something different to folks. And so She's struggling from retiring from tennis is the short version of this. In the owners that I talk to, I've heard people say, you know, I'm looking in the mirror in my head. I look younger than the image I see in the mirror that, okay, I'm 65 or I'm 70. I still, you know, I can still beat the young kids. You hear things like that. And they see it as an ending, not as an evolution in who they are. So that's a big problem in succession planning. I'll have people who want to start succession and then they start to see this is going to be real. That, for example, you, the owner, sometime probably in the next two years won't be the president of your company anymore. And it's a time you might not be the CEO anymore. And what I have found the longer I've been at this, it's helping that person to deal with those very personal and intimate thoughts. Because if they don't, Succession ain't going to happen. It's going to stop and bad things happen from there. So kids become frustrated. Kids talk about or actually quit. It can fracture the marriage between the owner and their spouse. So it's if you can find a family who's saying, we know what we're trying isn't working. We've tried everything else. Let's try something a little bit different. Let's try something that really allows us to think personally what we're trying to accomplish. They got to have a shot. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really good point to make sure that people understand that a lot of times it is one of the owners who's not ready to give up the reins. They need to retire to something. They need to evolve to what's next. Um, you know, when I talk about, you know, aging, I want to become an elder, not an older <laughs> Is kind of the phrase that I utilize. Elders, I, I look at is they're always constantly still learning. I, yeah. You know, there's the the more I'm looking forward to the day when somebody comes in to be my successor, and and I evolve to something else. Um, and I don't know what that is yet, um, but I have just you know um, a friend of mine said, well, why don't you go get your degree in psychology or psychodynamics? And why don't you start doing this stuff? And I'm like, 
I've thought about going and, you know, doing some Bowen family systems theory stuff, but I was just kind of do, using it for what if, you know, I mean, and just adding it to my plate, but maybe it is a way for me to be able to step away from the wealth management side and the estate planning and all the technical work and do more of that stuff. So that was interesting. That happened last week. And I was like, oh, I felt like now I'm a, I can see it. But I think to your point, when we're talking to that owner, it's it's helping them to figure out what's next so that they can be excited about their future and where they're going, right? That's exactly it. And that whatever is next, it's not seen as something less than. Yeah. It's seen as what do you want to do next, including there are a lot of examples you see in the literature. And this is what I discuss with my clients. So that usually if you're in an executive level, the things that you used to love a long time ago, you don't get to do those anymore. The being the craftsman, as some people call it. So I'll say, you know, you still own the business. So uh simple example is you entered into this company, it was just two people, you were a chemist. Still like chemistry? They might go, yeah, I do. Say, so, do you realize you could go back to the bench and start doing chemistry again? You have the money you need. You can you could have any job in this company you want. Um, yeah. You could do also what you were talking about, Michael. Go get training in something that is there something that's been a passion for you, but as you've built the business and made it very successful, which actually you have done, um, something you want to pursue because now you have the time and resources to do that. So again, it's a, uh, it's helping them to see this isn't retirement, you know, buy white shoes, move to Florida. It's a matter of what's something that you still like. Um, I know typically in on your side of the street, people talk about getting big into charitable giving and volunteerism and things of that sort. Wonderful, because then it's sort of a twofer, community benefits and the individual benefits. But yeah. if you see it as this is a natural next step, I'm not becoming a less than it doesn't mean that I'm sort of putting myself out to pasture. It's that there's something else I want to go to. And by the way, and this is the other thing, that they've been doing some readying their kids for this. And there have been discussion with the kids. Kids are in their 30s and 40s. Um, the oldest I ever saw, they were in their 50s. Um, dad was deep in his 70s. But that, um, but it's saying, all right, if if in good faith I was offering my children the opportunity to be the next gen, let's see what that looks like. And even in the beginning, my advice I would give to people, some people are not ready to work with me. So I'll say, they'll say, I'm not ready to do succession. I'll say, okay, why don't you do this? Once a quarter, have a nice lunch with your kids, your spouse, whomever else you want to invite. And just talk about where is the business now? and talk about what's the vision you all have for the future. And don't even write an agenda. There's the agenda. And just see where it flows. And you might surprise yourself as you learn, first and foremost, your kids probably have more on the ball than you realize. And they might have some ideas for some interesting directions. They might not even want your job. They might wanna spin off a division or start a new subsidiary, but you were so focused on, who's going to take my job and I'm not ready to leave my job. You limited your thinking. So that's where, you know, simple enough, lunch once a quarter, pretty simple, pretty cheap. I love it. I love it. That's a great way of looking at it. And to your point of what you're talking about, you know, you just said 
you know, the kid might not even want their job. So the what succession means different things to different people. Right. And, and so there's, you know, I, I think you coined the phrase, there's many roads to succession. And, and so as you're thinking about that, sometimes you don't even know what the options are until you enter a dialogue, until you start conversing. Um, I like what you said about meeting quarterly and just say, where do you see as the vision of the future, you know, of, of the company? I, I would add a little tiny twist to that. Sometimes I think it's fun to just say, you know, what if we did a SWOT analysis? You do yours, I'll do mine. And let's talk about them. So if, if vision, you know, vision is one piece, where do we see it? But then we can talk about our strengths and our weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Maybe just see what that looks like. If you get bored, maybe you just do one per quarter. We'll do the S this quarter and then the... <laughs> Whatever, sure you can. Yeah. I love that idea. I haven't thought about doing that on a quarterly basis. So I think that's really important. If you're not ready for succession yet, then you know, as the family members, if you're going to be talking about it someday, at least have a quarterly lunch where you're talking about these things. What they'll find also, particularly in this situation, so I'm in a situation like this right now, that there's a kid in the business who really doesn't like the business. Yeah. But the kid is doing it because of a, a felt sense of loyalty to her parents. So if you have these quarterly lunches, which sometimes there might be some spinoff one-on-ones that happen between the quarters, you as the parents are figuring out this thing that I always pictured was going to happen. Some of my kids don't want to do this. And right. then, then you can just be a good parent and just say, so what do you want to do? And you know, any loving parent's going to say, any way I can help you to get there, I'll help you to get there. And now also, because I know you don't want to become the next owner or CEO and president of this, I have some serious planning to do on what's going to happen next with the business. But at least I know this thing that you'll be sitting in my seat, I need to get lost. All of that is wrong. Right. And, and, I, and, and until you have the conversations, you don't know. Why is it, you know, important that people and, and not sometimes there are some families that have done a great job. They're 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 thinking about these things in advance. They're having the conversations. Succession isn't an issue for them because they're and I would say that they're typically their emotional intelligence within the family, their ability to communicate. They've worked on that for many years. And, and that's where that that's where that comes from. When they get stuck, though, why include a consulting psychologist? You know, what are you said? This isn't therapy. So walk through why isn't it therapy? But why is it important that that psychology background is part of it? It's not. So it's not psychotherapy or counseling because I'm not going to get involved in any of the people's childhood, their, you know, deep concerns with each other. If there's a mental health issue, I refer to a psychologist or some other kind of counselor. The reason for doing that is, is that I want my role as the consulting psychologist to remain focused. So if I start wearing too many hats, it gets confusing about, so who is Jim to us? And the first thing that's dropping off the plate is succession, because that's the most feared thing. So it's easier, go work with each member of the family individually, Jim, and we'll, we'll get back to that succession thing next year. So that's part of it. What I'm doing, though, is systematically first determining where and why are they stuck? 
So is that similar to counseling? Yeah, but the topics are different. So um, I'm going to ask questions like, um, what, were, what are your goals for succession? What are some of the things you think have made this go well? What are some of the things that have made it not go well and why? What would be some things that we get it back on track? That So let's say for the air version, um, what are some things you feel your parents could do that would better facilitate this process? So I could take the rest of our hours going spinning off questions. In the end, I sit back and I analyze that and say, okay, net, net, after I've written about 50 pages of notes, what are we learning here about why succession came up to a certain point and it stopped? What you want to avoid is the, you know, often discussed anecdotal story of the family that could not complete succession. And then the main person, dad or mom dies. And then it's two or three days after the funeral and the kids are sitting in some big living room saying, so now what do we do? And it's like, wow, you picked a time in your life where you all feel the worst about each other in the situation. And that's where you're going to do succession planning and they'll try it. And it's, it's probably somewhat likely that there'll be discussions about to preserve our relationships. Maybe we should just sell it, which for some family businesses, that's not a bad idea. Uh, but again, they're in the duress of they just buried a parent. Not the right moment to be doing this. Um, so with some planning, I don't think anybody really does succession planning in the 50s. But you get into your 60s, it's a time to at least think about, all right, you know, do you want to see succession happen? Or do you want to see a sale happen? Or I'll say this to owners and say, maybe you want to go with your boots on, as they say. You said, it's your business. You might want to die in your office. God bless you. Go for it. It's like, it's not my point to judge that. Right. But if you don't want to go with your boots on and hey, you're 67, you know, we can take out a life insurance chart. The truth is the truth. We should start doing something and do something that you can, you and your family can stick with, with some consistency. So as you're aware, the family council model works really well for that. Um, and you see where it goes. The, the thing that's also interesting in this work, and you alluded to this, Michael, in the beginning of the podcast, no situation is ever the same of another as another situation. And so many unforeseen things come up. So family secrets, betrayals, um, all sorts of things like that. And again, my skill is to say, okay, so you just learned something new. So you learned that, you know, uncle so-and-so went to prison and that, you know, he's on your board of directors now. Okay. So yes, it's upsetting. Let's take some deep breaths. Let's see why you're upset about that. And let's start talking through what's a better way forward. Because the fact is, he's on your board. Yeah. And he went, he went to prison, served his time. So is, is the issue that a relative was on your board, went to prison? Or is the issue that nobody ever told you? So again, in my skill set, you're mentioning EI before. I'm pretty unflappable. Because um, this is the training. You're taught back in therapy school, like, you know, if your client is upset and you're upset, who's got their hand on the rudder? So, <laughs> so you know, in, right. So inside I might be going, wow, I, I can't believe they're saying X, Y, or Z. 
but that's not what's coming out of my mouth. And that I'm very focused on, we have two big boulders to move, leadership and ownership. Let's, let's keep our eye on the ball. Let's figure out, even if we need to make some detours, how we're going to get there. So let me stop the role play. This is the way I sound when I'm in front of clients. It's just like, it's not matter of fact, but it's very common, very focused. And sometimes I'm the only common focused person in the meeting with the family. Everybody else's hair is on fire. So it's almost, you know, as you're, as you're talking, there's a, it sounds like management consulting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you start taking, and we talked about this a little bit, but like you talk about Jim Collins and, you know, good to great and trying to figure out, you're just helping them to figure out what are the right seats? What are the right people? Who are the people for those seats? And, and how do we take, and you know, the love, the power and the money aspects of those psychology, you know, fires and, and remove them from there to make some logical decisions to be able to move forward and get everybody's buy-in. It's exactly what it is. It's well said. Okay. But again, it's also it's doing objectively. So I don't care whether the son or the daughter becomes the next CEO. All I'm going to say is, so for example, you can assess leadership and management skill and all of its vicissitudes. So I'll say, if it looks like it's a dead heat between your two kids, I don't know. Let's use a quantifiable test or a few of them. Let's figure out what's what. And the test is not going to tell you what to do, which is a big fear of clients. Well, Jim did a test and now I have to follow the test. I said, no, all that is, is just information for you to know how you're going to go forward. So if the lesser qualified child is the one you still want to be the CEO, I'll say, okay, how are we going to get them there? Because just throwing them into that seat, that's going to be bad for that person, that kid, the business, and the family. So if they're missing a skill, most management skills can be learned. So say, are they are they going back to school? Are we going to get them an executive coach? Are they going to be in a family business study group? There are a lot of different options. Are they going to just read? That would be good. Read some things in, in this domain. And, and I assure people that, again, that there is some amount of trepidation about testing. I'll say, testing is just, it's giving another source of data. Say, you're, I'll say, you own the business. You want to ignore the data. That's up to you. Right. I'm saying, use it to inform what you want to accomplish because there's a lot of good information in there. It's not a, it's not like a fortune cookie that's going to come true. It's saying, if this is where things are headed and you don't like what's going to happen, let's figure out a better plan to get that air in better shape so that as they start taking over more leadership responsibilities and ultimately start getting equity, that they're going to do something that first and foremost, they're going to feel good about. Somebody feels good about themselves as a leader, you know this, Michael, that always goes better, that the business is going to function better and the family's going to feel good that they gave that heir the kind of support that made them successful. So, so that's another thing that when you look at consulting psychologists, this is part of our skill set. That yeah. That was one of the things that um, I really liked that we talked about before is that you do have a plethora, you know, of unique assessments um, in, a, in a bunch of different areas. Not, you know, I, we, we talked about personality, you know, I did think you're Myers-Briggs, right, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have, the like you said, the management and leadership assessments. 
I think it really helps you to paint a bigger picture than about the situation by utilizing your background, your skill set. And then on top of that, you have data that you can look at and to say, hey, you know, this is what, you know, 5,000 other people that have gone through this test, this is what it looks like. Right. Um, and I'm a big believer that if somebody has a motivation, and I don't even like the word motivation, if somebody has a passion for being the next leader in the business, that you can learn anything. You know, I, I have made mistakes through my career. Yeah. I just learned right. from them. I fall forward, you know, and I apologize and I move, move on. That's all it uh, is. And so, that, you know, they can learn anything and uh, that's helpful. And you give them through some of those assessments, here's some of the areas that you should focus on first. Because, you know, a lot of times, I think in a succession plan, the... The, the current generation wants to be focused on the technical side of making sure that you can do all the right technical things like, you know, putting together the, taking the blueprint and making that blueprint come to life. Well, if you can't do that, how are you going to lead, you know, this business? And a lot of times it's probably more often the people skills side of things, maybe so that, that leadership and how to lead, because you don't have to know you don't have to do things the same way dad or mom did them oh. to be successful. And, and particularly also, that's a good point, Michael, that I remember years ago, local family business owner contacted me. We're talking about he wants to do some succession. He's got some kids who are up and comers. But somehow we got to talk about a discussion about his business was changing. I said, what do you mean? He said, we're about to take a whole new strategy, but we don't know what it is. I said, well, I'm not your next step then. I said, let me get you to somebody who's a strategic planning expert. I said, why is that? Because who you are today as the CEO, that skill set might not be the same as the next version of your company. And in determining which of your kids fits which role, we want to judge them based upon the new version of the company, not the current version, which you're about to change in like you know, 24 months. So, so that's where also, I, I'm hoping this is coming through in our discussion that I really try to communicate a lot of hope to the families because again, by the time they see me, they're really distraught. They just, they've boiled down their choices to a very limited number of choices. And there are many more choices that could be made and they don't have to ruin the family in the process. So I try to say, I'll say, you know, let's, although I'll say, I respect that you all can't keep an open mind right now because you've been chewing on this for five years and it's not been a very delectable meal. But aside from that, you have to trust, I've been in so many family business succession scenarios. There are some different things that you could be doing that first and foremost are not going to be as stressful and are likely to get you to a better outcome. So let's let's take a breath. Let's just all step back for a moment, see how we got here, see what would be a better way to go forward. And then I talk with people creating something called a succession roadmap. So I don't know if I invented this or not, but I like it, whether I invented it or not. And so all it is, is I'll say, okay, now we sort of see that by an approximate date that 
for example, mom and dad are going to be out of the business completely. And I'll say, that's not etched in stone, but let's use that to then work backwards. Yeah. So I'll say, now what we're going to do is we're going to work with each other to create a roadmap that spells out tasks that each of you have and the expected results quarter by quarter. So I say, why are we going to do that? That's a big piece of work, by the way. Why are we going to do that? Say, we need like a succession GPS. Say, right now, all I'm hearing is someday you're going to leave and someday you're going to be promoted. I'll say, I'll bet you as we start writing the roadmap, you're going to see there are a lot of little but significant things that need to get done so that when we get to, I don't know, January 2026, that all those, so you have all those things have been done. You have a really firm foundation of now we're ready for succession. We're ready to throw some big switches. So usually that's somebody's about to get a major promotion. We start talking about then, and this is where it involves folks like you and the attorney and the accountant. Okay, so how are we going to do the equity transfer? Is it sweat equity? Is it actually purchase? So that's that's outside of my realm, but I know that's I know to trigger it though. So I already know who the accountant attorney and the wealth advisor is. So say, this is our moment. We're coming up to this like in a year and a half. Let's start having some discussions, let them start building models for you. I'll say, I'm like a trained monkey. What I just said to you, that is the extent of my knowledge, but I know what I don't know. So it gets that sort of going in the background a little bit. So when we get to January, 2026, there is the first, you know, somebody you would typically in a family go from being like a VP to an EVP, which is like a COO. And it might be, here's the first chunk of the business. So through whatever means, you know, Bobby is going to get 20% or whatever. Right. And it's interesting because it's like you said, it's different every single time, but there's always a rhyme. There's always a, you know, there's always a, uh, a pattern or a, a beat to what's happening. Yeah. I, I love the succession roadmap. I think that that really makes it'll help people to envision what's next and where are we going when we're doing so i am more you know yes i do the wealth management and all the technical estate planning buy sell agreements and operating agreements i help architect them i don't draft them but i make sure that they're architected properly sure um, and but i also do a lot of work on that you know growth strategy work and so on that growth strategy work, when I'm bringing on a new, you know, a new client, we have a quarter by quarter what to expect for three years. And, and the whole idea behind that is, you know, in the first meeting, we're doing some cohesive exercises where we're just getting the team to share things like, you know, what was a memorable experience before the age of 12 for you? They're learning things about the, the the other team members that they've never heard before nine out of ten times. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't start. You know, you need to start there so that eighteen months from now, <coughs> excuse me, eighteen months from now, you can have a conversation. You know what we call the the left right. You know thing. Left. What do you like about what this person is doing, and what don't you like about what this person is doing? And then do it on the right side as well, and then go continue going around the room. That can't be a first discussion, otherwise they never want to see our strategic planning 
work ever again. Um, But you have to build that trust. Like you said, you build the trust, you put the pieces together to really get people thinking about, you know, that we're not there to tell them what to do. They know the answers. We just don't, they don't know the questions. It's exactly right. And then when they start figuring them out, they don't know how to say them. So Mm -hmm. as uh, a child in a family business who really wants to be the COO is not under consideration for that, but wants to have an earnest discussion with their parents and they're going, I don't know how to have this. So either I'm going to sound like I'm just trying to, you know, glorify myself and it's an act of hubris that I want to be the next COO or I say nothing and I'm really pretty unhappy being stuck in the middle of this organization. So if nothing happens, I'm probably going to quit in 12 months. So they'll say to me, is there a way to have the conversation? I'll say, sure there is. So this is one of the things I'm known for. I can help them to craft the words. I'll say, if I were in your shoes, given what you've told me, this is what I would say. So I do that. Mm-hmm. I get done and they'll say, wow, you, you did that really well. I said, well, thanks. I said, the point that was, I got to help you to do it well. Um, <laughs> so we, we'll talk about, you know, I'll say, what made you comfortable, uncomfortable talking to your parents like that? Can you picture that? If you can picture it, when do you think you might be willing to try that? So I'm going to inch them forward to get through their discomfort to the point that they're willing to go have the discussion. If it's helpful for me to be there, not as an advocate for the heir, but to say, you know, this is a big issue. I've come to know your family very well. I care about you all. This is an important conversation to go well. So most times I'll be sort of a fly on the wall, but you know, if we go off in the weeds a little bit, I'm gonna get you out of the weeds. So there I I want to make sure that people don't miss this. So we made a point of talking about the skill set that you come to the table with is to make sure that things that are being said to each of the family members. You have a unique way of talking to them, hearing all of their things, being empathetic to them, and then saying it in a manner that they can hear it, right? But then flip it side two is as we've gone through the succession plan, as we start to see what needs to happen, you're there to coach them to do exactly what you've been doing, which is to how do I have a meaningful, critical, tough conversation you know, in the face of all the things that are going on, because they wouldn't be stuck if they were easy conversations. It's a good point. From my perspective, any consulting project will eventually end. It's supposed to end, at least my involvement's supposed to. So it's what you were saying in the second point, that I want them not just to be able to memorize a script. I want them to understand from an emotional, uh, emotional intelligence perspective how do you first craft? What am I trying to accomplish? What are some of the key points that I want to make? So dot, dot, dot. I'll take them through. This is what's going on in my head when I role played those things with you. Okay, now here's the next thing. You try. What do you want to accomplish? What do you think the key points would be? When your parents say some things that are upsetting, how are you going to manage your emotions a little bit? Because if you start flying off the handle, that game is over. So tell me how you're going to be able to deal with that. And we'll practice some of that. So again, when the day is done, I want them to be some version of me. Um, But, you know, they have to do it for themselves. It has to be their personality. Um, 
And that builds strength to them as leaders then that they're going to be better not only talking to their parents and to their peer, uh, their uh, siblings, but also talking to the very important key non-family members in the business, which often are ignored. It's like, you know, uh, Jane or Bob, they're never leaving. I'll go, you told me a story last week that they're feeling really edgy and they're not sure they can stay. They'll say, say I know it sets you to talk about that. But the fact is, so I can remember saying in a variety of family business, if so-and-so were to leave, what happens to your business? And usually the answer is a number of very bad things. This person is a very key player. The only thing is they're not a member of the family, so it limits equity and things like that. I'll say, well, if it's okay with you, you're not paying attention to them. So I'll say, in my experience working in hundreds of companies and thousands of employees, I know the arc of the script. They are, and I'll usually make a guess. Usually I'll say, they are somewhere between 12 and 18 months of quitting. They're going to quit at a point that best serves their purposes because you're not looking after them anymore. You're going to get very upset. You're going to beg. You're going to throw money at them. They're going to stay for two more months, and then they're going to quit. And they're not going to come back. So that's where, in my talking with them, it's a matter of that broad perspective you said before. Yeah, so you all are kind of like in this bubble that it's only, you know, only people with your last name you're paying attention to say, so it might be a company that has 400 people. Most of the stuff that happens in this company has nothing to do with this, the six of you do. Right. So let, let's look at these non-family VIPs. and. Sometimes they'll say, let's talk to them about how where your succession process is not, how it's affecting them. Because oftentimes the difficulties within the family spill into the non-family members and the non-family members are thinking, do I need to be a part of this? It's like, I didn't sign up to be a part of your family's problems. I came here for a job. I give you everything. I don't want to be a part of your family dynamics. So I'll explain to the family. I'll say, you're exposing them to too many of your conflicts. And then I'll say again, let me show you what the arc on the script looks like. Say it's not going to be pleasant, but you have time. So that's where the hope comes in. There are things that you can do to make the situation turn out much better. And then what I'll recommend depends upon the specific situation, the specific person. But again, it's showing, as we talked about before, there are often many more options in front of the family than they think because their bubble is small, because they're infighting, their trust is eroded, they're tired and they're angry. So this is my typical client, not all of them. So for those watching this who are family business owners going, why do I have to be that to speak with Jim? No, but sometimes it's that if you take a succession plan that really has been just, you know, sitting on the windowsill too long out in the sun, nothing good happens with it. So you try to work with that. I love it. Um, we're coming up on our time, but I want to make sure that we are able to talk about a couple of a couple more things. One is I have I know that in this family business coaching, that's the the, the world that I put family business coaches, they're not advisors um, into that. You call it the consulting psychologist. Um, I'm saying, yeah, there's there's a world of difference in approaches 
to this. And I, you know, I just know that from 12 years, 11 years, whatever it is of being around the Purposeful Planning Institute and seeing, you know, how people are coming at this. Some people are coming at it from the fear-based, you know, uh, only 13% make it to the, the third generation. You don't do that. I find that really, I love, I want to make sure that you, I note this. You come at it. Let me show you all the good things that are available and possible, but we have to have some conversations to get there. I, you bring from that level, there's a real big push, and I'm just going to sh share it real quick, is Jim Grubman, Dr. Jim Grubman and Dennis Jaffe. I don't know if you know those names. But both of them are talking about Wealth 3.0, which is all coming at everything from a positive spin. And now that I've been talking to you, um, I think that you've been doing that for a very long time. So I really appreciate that. I know that there's statistics out there that talk about those things. But at the end of the day, that's what the, the, family, you know, the family Biz Show is all about, is just trying to help and be positive and bring you know, some really good teachings to people. What I want to know is knowing that there's a plethora of people out there, what's the best way for a family to go through and say, how do I know if Jim's the guy for us or if it's Lori or Pete or, you know, what are some of the ways that if you're a family that you're having these conversations? I guess it's a few things. First, it's not unusual that family business owners know other family business owners. And sometimes they know them pretty well. They could be friends, could be golfing buddies. Ask them, say, hey, you know, wheels aren't falling off, but we're having some difficulty with succession. You all did succession. Anybody ever help you? How'd it go? What would you do differently? So those kind of things. Another thing is, is that whether you have that conversation or not, ultimately you're going to end up with somebody, a consultant, who might be well-referred, but you don't know them. So a thing that I do when I'm first meeting somebody or some bodies, um, I'll say, why don't we meet for an hour, hour and a half? I'll say, you know, I want to get a little more information that you offer me over the phone or a, a, a virtual meeting, but let's use this as an opportunity for me to learn, are there ways that I can help you and what would that look like? And for you to learn, are you comfortable just sitting across from me? I'm going to ask your personal questions. If we work together, you know, ask the hard questions. Ask about my training. Ask about how many family businesses I've been in. Ask you about my success rate and what does that number mean? I'll say, because when we start working with each other, you want to feel that I'm the right person. So no question is an implied question. I'd have to think also, Michael, somebody's written some good article that you could Google that would say, how do you qualify a good family business psychologist? Um, but those are the things, and I think oftentimes when I look at the clients who work with me, there's a point in that first conversation, something does or doesn't click into place. So I can tell when both are happening. So certainly I prefer when it does click into place. So we're talking and all of a sudden the conversation is flowing. They're beginning to tell me some things they haven't told other consultants. They're willing to talk about some of their misgivings about doing this at all, yada, yada, yada. and. I can tell we're probably going to work with each other. And I'll say at the end of the meeting, I'll say, you know, it looks like you have some things that I can help you with. I told you the next step. Do you want to take a shot at this? So it's, that is my hack needs sales call technique. Oh, uh, I love it. It's pretty low key. Likewise, there's some people where I can tell they're not ready. 
And it, it might be because of me. It might not be because of me. They're just not ready. So I'll say, look, say based upon what we talked about, I think if you just got smarter about family businesses to start, you would see that some of your trepidation is unfounded. So either I'll say, here's a book I really like, or give me 24 hours. I'm going to find you one or two articles, read them, think about it. If you want to maybe have a little lunch with your family, make copies. We're back to that lunch. I'd like to eat, but yeah, uh, so have a, have a lunch and have a discussion. And then I'll say, there's some time between now and never, you're going to call me. And when you want to just, you know, call and update me where we are. If we should meet, we will. So what? So what's the idea behind that whole approach, Michael? It's an empowering approach. I can't change any business. I can't change any individual. It's that they have to make the decision that they want to do the hard work. And the hard work's going to happen when they're not in front of me. Right. So they have to be able to have a combination of the fortitude and the resilience to be able to have the hard conversations I'm going to coach them how to do. So again, you can sort of tell in the beginning, where is it, where is this going to go? And it proceeds from there. So again, I think if somebody wants to just sort of get a primer on how do you pick a person like me, if you Google it, selecting, you know, our next family business psychologist or family business advisor, or you can play with the wording, you'll come up with things. So it'll be a very detailed list. But again, I can, it's like a gut hunch decision that happens in the first meeting where something goes, click, I'm gone. They just became a client. Um, and if it's not, I'm always respectful. I'm, sometimes I'll say, I don't think you're ready. And I realize, you know, you're 72 years old and you're feeling a lot of pressure from everybody to do something, but you're not ready for that. Sometimes I'll say to them also, why don't you meet with me every other week for a couple months and just talk about how you're not ready. And let's see after four meetings, maybe you'll feel more ready. And if you're not, maybe you want to go with your boots on. We're back to that again. I'll go, it's your show. If you want to do that, I'm not talking you out of it. I've told you what's going to happen that won't be that great. But the way I come at all this, Michael, these are personal decisions. It's not my place to scare somebody into, if you don't do this, bad things will happen. I'll go, I'll say, you know what's going to happen, good and happen, bad, if you don't do certain things. So you know that already. Let me show you how you can get to be where you want to be in a way that I'll help you to get through the pain. Your family's still going to love each other. I say, you're going to have to have some courage. I'm going to be the broad shoulders behind you. I've done that before. And in the end, let's make something good happen. And that's, that's all it sounds like. Perfect. And if somebody wants to reach out and find you, get in contact with you, how do they do that? Um, email address. So I don't know if you'll put that with the article or whatever, or the podcast. So it's drjim at tsgdrjim.com. Also, website is, is simple. It's getdrjim.com. So that's pretty easy. Um, I got better at the second URL than the first URL. So um, getdrjim.com. So anytime, and again, it's, it's just a chat. And if they like what we were chatting about, we're going to go have some coffee. And yeah. if that works after that, we'll do something. We go from there. Um, I am as low key as I appear to be, though, in this in this podcast. 
when here's last question um this podcast airs around the world um so do you you know what are your geographic limitations are you predominantly upstate new york do you take on clients virtually do you do any travel i do some travel i do fairly extensive virtual work i was doing virtual before virtual it wasn't ever cool but before it was a necessity so um yeah i've done work all over the country i've never done work outside the country if it was somebody in another country you know with today's international events kind of depends on what's happening in the world. But initially I'll talk to anybody. Um, sure. If they feel though that they don't wanna do virtual work and I've determined that's the only way I would do it, I'm in a fairly big network of consulting psychologists. So I'd say, okay, so you need uh, somebody to work with your family in France. Say, give me a week. Right. Say, give me permission just to talk about your family without using your family's name. Yeah. Let's see if I can find you somebody who's, so they might say, you know, we're in and around Paris. I'll say, okay, let me see if I can find you a consulting psychologist in and around Paris. Sure. But I am willing to do, certainly to work anywhere. I'm willing to do some travel. Um, the easiest face-to-face -face is upstate because this is where I am. But there are, I, I work with other companies who are not in Rochester. I'm in Northern Virginia. I've been on and off. I've been in Texas. So, um, so certainly willing to do that. Great. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Um, this has been the Family Biz Show. I'm Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. Really appreciate you taking your time to join us today. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of the Family Biz Show. Have a great day, everybody. Michael, thanks much. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.